Okay, here we go. If you're a curling fan, what a time of season it is. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Curling. It's me, Jungle Jim Jerome, with our two World Curling Hall of Famers, Warren Hansen and Kevin Martin. And uh, let us first start off, Kevin. Uh, Warren celebrated a birthday this week. I saw it on Facebook, and uh, <laughs> I told him I wouldn't do this, but... I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's like telling a dog not to cross the road. Why did you do that, Warren? Why did you do that? Jim, let's keep that between you and I. Okay, and the good listener, Warren, the big 8-0 uh, this past week. Happy birthday, my man. It's good to have you aboard. Happy birthday. I'll tell you what, fellas, before we start, I knew it would be a bit of an issue because I dropped my camera into my cup of coffee. Uh, <laughs> And it was it was nothing but net. It's not like it hit the rim and when it just swooshed right to the bottom. But I fixed her all up. Uh, this is the week of the Scotties. We're going to talk about a lot of things. Uh, we appreciate all our sponsors, Sports Interaction, who brings you what's happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost, the sponsor of Mailbag. Coyote Tractor brings you hot rock topics. And Goldline brings you in the house. Lots to talk about the Scotties. Tournament of Hearts is underway in Kamloops. Uh, we've got to check in there. Also, a uh, national championship in Switzerland was concluded this past week. Let's see who won there. Uh, Scotty started Friday. Uh, instantly, there was a problem. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not on the ice, but on the airways. No one in the USA would be uh, able to access the Scotties or the Briars on television or streaming. Uh, so what's up with that, that they can't watch it anymore? Hot Rock Topics. We interviewed Reed Carruthers last week. He suggested that perhaps... They might even increase the number of teams in the Scotties and Briars and not stop at 18, go to 20 or more. We're going to dig into that a little further. Uh, Mailbag, we do it each and every week. And uh, first email we'll get to is about the residency rule. We've, uh, this thing seems to rear its ugly head every week. And uh, this week there's a different angle. So we're going to talk about that. In the house, Joan McCusker. Olympic gold medalist with Sandra Schmerler, now color commentator, of course, is at the Scotties in Kamloops, and we're going to talk to her. And uh, yesterday, I think, was Sandra Schmerler Day. I was watching a couple of draws, and my guess is they got to well over, well over half a million dollars. Last I checked, it was four hundred and sixty grand or something. Actually, I think it was well over eight hundred thousand. Is that right? Yes. Curling fans unite, you know, way, way to go. What a, what a beautiful gesture by everyone, and uh, congratulations to all those who donated to the Sandra Schmirler Day yesterday at the Scotties. Okay, here we go. What's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make a play at Sports Interaction. You've got to be 19 years or older to play, and Ontario only, and please play responsibly. So, Kevin, the Scotties. Happening right now, this is uh, Monday as we record, uh, and it's going to go on all week. Okay, Martino, uh, what do you think so far? Well, Jimmy, I think everything's kind of kind of going along as expected. I think there's a few upsets here and there. I saw like, some great messages uh, on Twitter when uh, Territories playing against Ontario, and, uh, and uh, Territories were just curling great. And I saw some, uh, is Rizzo going to miss? And then about a half hour later, apparently, no, she is not. <laughs> so then that's who's throwing skip rocks for the territories when they beat uh, Rachel Holman's terrific team. So that was a big win. So I would say Team Galusha out of the territories is kind of the big story so far. 
playing great, uh, sitting at two and one on top of the of Pool B. So just fantastic for them. Pool A, you've got Anderson undefeated, Laws, Black, and Grandy kind of running away. Those four, we expected that. Three and O oh for for Anderson, two and one for the rest. You got Jones coming back strong. She uh, lost her opener. And McCarville Scheidegger doing well also. So kind of expected. Um, Warren, I was going to ask you one thing about in Kamloops. Um, it looks to be a fair bit frosty, the ice. And we played a lot of Canada Cups there over the years. Uh, and Anna Breyer, actually, in the, in the late 90s. Um, I don't remember that being the case. What, uh, do, what do you remember of those events when it comes to the, uh, with frost? Because it seems to be late in the game going wide a little tough. Yes, there is something going on. There's a, a lot of shots being missed, sort of uh, out of the blue. I've talked to some people up there. I'm saying to them, is there something going on with ice or rocks? And they don't seem to think so. Uh, yet we're seeming to see some strange things happening. So I guess as, as time goes on, interesting when we talk to Joan here later, what her observation is. But, you know, I'm watching uh, how some of those things are happening. And uh, the the release of the rock seems to be very critical. Very, they're very release sensitive, which usually indicates a rock that's got a pretty sharp edge on it. So maybe at this point those rocks were sandpapered before they started. Maybe they haven't just worn in enough yet that they're not really really sensitive on the right surface. That can be a bigger problem than it can with others. But something is not quite right because you're seeing players miss relatively simple shots and they look puzzled. Um, and so when you see a puzzled look in their face, they're going like, "What happened?" So something's going on. Yeah, it might be just more of, of the line or the path because you saw Jennifer Jones missing draws by a, a long ways, but then down a path where she knew it, right on the button. But other areas of the ice going right through the rings or you know way short or whatever the case may be. So anyway, it'll be interesting to watch going forward. To your point, maybe things will settle out. Hopefully it does. I know the Anderson game I was watching, I think she played uh, wild card one. Both of them missed them in the, in the late end ninth. And usually Kev... You know, when you did that, we would see you rip into your sweepers or something. And, uh, and you know, or, uh, but I, you didn't see that. And, and so I totally get what you're saying, Warren, that I think, uh, and Kevin, that they were kind of rolling their eyes. And I might have heard a little the ice thing uh, from them. So, uh, okay, Warren, picks. All right. I think, before you do it, I think I might have picked that uh, team from Northwest Territories. Well, Jim, we'll get into that really quickly here. And uh, so far, I am pretty impressed with uh, your foresight here on, on your selection. So in Pool A, we all picked Einerson. So we're winners there. And interesting enough, we all picked Laws. So we've got uh, all three of us have two correct. Now when we get down to the third one is where things get a little different. The young team from Alberta, Skirlik, I picked them. And uh, so far, they have not done well. They've lost two games, but they've... They've had some issues. Uh, Kevin picked Grandy, BC. They're doing quite well. They're at 2-1, and one, tied for the lead. And guess what, Jim? You picked Black from Nova Scotia, and they're also at 2-1. and one. So you two guys are doing quite well in Pool A with all three of your picks, and uh, I've got one horse here that's limping a bit. In the Pool B, again, yes, we all picked Holman, so bingo on that one. Kevin and I picked Jones, and again, she's right up there, uh, tied with 2-1. and one. And then Jim picked Carrie Galusha from Northwest Territories, and she's also at two and one. So, Jim, you made the right selection. Sounds like I'm in a tie for first. Just hang on here. We're not there yet. Oh, no. <laughs> so in the third place uh, teams in Pool B, Warren did pretty well. He picked McCarville. She's up there tied for the lead, two and one. 
Kevin picked Schneidegger. She's only played two games, and she's one and one, but Jim picked Walter, the young team out of Manitoba. Good selection, but uh, they are at one and two. But they're playing pretty good, so I think they had to get some jitters out of their system. Uh, they're still going to be around, I think, in the next few days, without question. So that's where we're sitting in our picks, and uh, looking pretty good so far, actually. You guys better get the jitters. I'm coming after you, okay? <laughs> I'm coming after you. Uh, thank you, Warren. Kevin, Switzerland had their national championship. Who won? Well, I'm going to shock you on the on the women's side. Um, there's this Terenzoni, Savannah team uh, that seemed to be doing really well with Alina Petz, uh, Carol Hovald, and Briar Schwaller. Um, so they won 6-4. They got a big three-ender in the third, actually, to, uh, to take that game away. So champions again from Switzerland. Congratulations. And the men's, Yannick Schwaller. So uh, him and Briar got married recently. And uh, they got three in the fourth end, actually, to beat Michael Bruner's team 7-4 in the final. So that's uh, Benoit Schwartz throwing skip stones, Yannick Schwaller, Sven Mikkel, and Pablo Lachat. They are the champs of the Swiss. So really good teams, really good representation, Jimmy. It's going to be very strong out of Switzerland coming forward in the World Championships. Uh, the cream is still rising to the top. Right. Yeah, very much so in, in Switzerland. Really, you know, they've got some good depth going too. If Michael Bruner would have won, that's, they're, they're really strong. So, uh, you know, there's no, there's no weakness here. Okay, since 2014, people in the U.S. have been able to view the Scotties and the Briar on ESPN3, which is a digital media channel. Through agreement with Curling Canada and TSN, the access was provided free of charge since 2014 to primarily give all of the Canadian snowbirds in the U.S. a chance to watch the Canada's national championship. In addition, the U.S. curling audience was also given an opportunity to view the Canadian championships. However, when it all started, it became known that the arrangement between TSN and ESPN no longer exists, and ESPN would not provide the service. It got instant reaction as all of a sudden there was no access in the USA, while Curling Canada indicated it would uh, approve of the events being streamed in the U.S. by TSN. The broadcaster said, no, it was not prepared to do it. I should also mention that ESPN owns 30% of TSN. There's no way Kevin and I could possibly sort this out, so we're going to throw it to you, Warren. That's rather strange, quite frankly, and the fact that it came in the 11th hour, nobody knew this was coming, uh, and so when people in the U.S. tried to access through ESPN3 last Friday, they came up with no access. So TSN, of course, the rights holder in Canada, and they can make a decision of that nature if they want to spin it off to the U.S. with the approval of the CCA. Uh, when I was around when this all happened back in about 2014, and so it's been going on since then. So why it suddenly stopped is a question. Uh, TSN could, of course, be still offering the signal to be purchased in the U.S. like Sportsnet does with the Grand Slam. But for whatever reason, they have chosen not to do that. So there's some sort of an issue there between uh, ESPN and TSN that is not visible. We don't know why. But it's brought up an interesting point because there's a market for this product in the U.S. because all of a sudden, instantly, it's being uh, offered through pirating by numerous operations in the U.S., some of which are legitimate, but some are a scam, so uh, buyer beware. But this, all, this whole thing is bringing forward this other issue. The instant cry from many people was, well, TSN should be putting out there on a stream on every sheet of ice and just simply make it available. And 
they simply can't do that because this product has value to it. And you can't start giving away a product that has a good monetary value attached to it. So that's not an option. And the manner how this whole thing is produced, providing a signal from every sheet of ice of broadcast quality uh, that TSN is uh, providing simply is very expensive to do. And if you may recall, they tried providing a signal from two sheets of ice for a number of years. And they stopped doing it because it just wasn't economically uh, paying off. The fact remains, if you've got a thousand people that are prepared to watch a curling broadcast, by bringing in another sheet of ice, you aren't increasing that audience by much. And even by bringing in four more, because you're still virtually catering to the same people. That can, of course, change when you start dealing with different countries, that uh, you may have uh, an audience interested in one country and not in the other. But when you're dealing with a national championship, to start putting out four sheets of ice and think it's going to economically pay back uh, in this day and age, it's not. We will get to a point in time when this is all going to happen, but uh, we're not there yet. So it's created a lot of uh, a lot of things going on. I should mention before I flip it to Kevin that uh, another uh, announcement became aware through all this is NBC, who have covered curling in the United States for a number of years now, and we're very into it, and they offered all the world championships into USA through NBC's various distributors uh, have indicated that they are not going to be doing that anymore. So NBC is not going to be providing any of the world championships in the USA market. Doesn't mean they're not going to get it. Uh, world Curling Federation, through their streaming partner, Recast, will make it available. Uh, Recast is a charge uh, to watch. Not much, but it is a charge. So there's a change there as well. Anyway, Kevin, tell us what your thoughts are on this whole USA thing and talk about uh, some of the experiences you've had with uh, U.S. access and this whole thing up until now. Well, yeah, uh, boy, a lot of messages coming through, and I appreciate it, everybody, all the messages coming through about, yeah, we can't find it, we can't find it, and actually uh, a group of curlers, you know, the curlers love to watch, you know, Scotty's Briar down here in the down in the U.S., and uh there is one, I don't know when all your, your thing have a point of uh, pirating this and that. I, I don't know much about that, but um, gamepass.tv, uh, I got a message from a curler says, uh, it's on, it's on, it's on. <laughs> so they're able to get it in the U.S. through that. I don't know what that is, but but it works. So that's good. And uh, curling fans can can view the uh, the Scotties games and probably the Briar through that I don't know that but definitely the Scotties is available um, through this game pass um, operation so Warren um, is this a case you know no no one ever pulls out of a, a broadcast if the numbers are going up uh, from where they were or if the money's still the same uh, that they've been doing it uh, we always talk about the growth of curling is fantastic around the world might, might there be an indication here, Warren, that the numbers are too low for NBC, for example, not to do what they've been doing in the past and ESPN? Well, there's lots going on down there. I think uh, as far as NBC is concerned, as you may remember, on January 1st of 2022, they pulled the plug on the NBC Sports Channel. It was all of a sudden gone. And having worked with uh, NBC through my involvement with USA Curling for a few years, their subscribers to NBCSN were pretty large, and they were growing. So is that an indication that they are moving away from the whole sports market? You see, we're, we're going through an interesting time that these big tech companies, Apple, Google, Disney, are stepping up and they're purchasing in some cases and certainly kicking the tires and others on 
these major sports properties. And I had an interesting discussion with someone else here uh, two days ago. And as we're sitting here today, NBC owns their rights to the Olympics in the United States up until 2032. And owning that alone is a rather strange move to drop your, your sports channel and as to rearranging things to some degree. They're flipping everything over to their streaming channel, Peacock. Um, but we're still at a point in time here where you need both. Linear television is still where all the money's coming from. Streaming is growing, it's building, but the revenue stream is primarily coming from linear. So you, you need the combination of both probably for God knows how many more years. Uh, you have to have your foot in both pools. And to strictly go one way or the other, and also because it's age-specific. Older people are in cable. The people under 35, they're strictly in streaming. So if you aren't in both pools, you're also losing part of the market. But anyway, the rumor I heard that NBC may be looking at trying to wheel their Olympic contract over to one of the big tech operations. Maybe Disney, maybe maybe Apple. Interesting, I mean, Disney's in it big time. They own the uh, United States rights to the NHL. And of course, they also own ESPN. So who knows uh, where, where things are going for? But I also found it interesting that ESPN and the NHL have also partnered with, I believe, the Turner Network in the United States. So that's their linear television connection that they're dealing all this stuff through. So it's complicated. Who knows what's going on in high places with all this stuff? But uh, there are some changes on the move. Am I going to have to get out my wire coat hanger and attach it to my TV to try and figure out where I'm getting my... <laughs> Uh, I, ju- I, heard, I just heard this week, I was listening, uh, a major network in Canada, they were interviewing uh, a young lady from there, and she said that in the next 10 years, it will all be digital. It's, it's how long? That's, that's the question. How long did it take us to uh, get rid of Blockbuster Video? Right. You know, it was, it, was, it was there, it was there, and all of a sudden it disappeared. So as this move takes place, and... You know, the other question is, will cable television ever completely disappear? Because there may be a market there for it to make it profitable still for many, many years ahead. So who knows? Maybe it'll be five years. Maybe it'll be 15 years. Uh, But we do know one thing for sure. There is a change that is taking place, and it is causing a lot of confusion in the market, without question. God, I remember the uh, the videos from Blockbuster and everyone would, good, good, get it back. There's going to be a penalty. Get it back. <laughs> Someone return the video. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, lots happening there. So uh, let's stay tuned and we'll try and bring everyone up to speed as that develops more. So that's what's happening around the curling world this week. Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. We dig dirt. We had Reed Carruthers on last week. He was talking about the structure of the Scotties and the Briar going forward. And Reed, not like everybody, thinks possibly even more teams might be included. So it might move to 20 teams, uh, which would include the 14 provinces and territories, and maybe six more uh, to possibly include the top U25 team in that number. Uh, Kev, what, what do you think? We hear from you every once in a while on this, but... Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, isn't this something that uh, everybody talks about all the time? How should how should things progress? Well, I think the first thing has to be decided is is the Briar and Scotties is that going to be the mechanism to send our team to the worlds? Is that going to continue to be the case? If it is the case, if that's how it's going to be going forward and not through some other event in Canada, then you probably have to limit the number of teams. 
and make sure that your top six or eight women's teams and men's teams in Canada are in the national championship, no matter what. Um, and, and there's no need to go to that main teams. The purpose is to get a team for the world championships. Okay. If it's not though, Jim, if it ends up decide, okay, we're not going to have, we're gonna have a separate event, kind of like the Canada cup used to be, we're gonna have a separate event. Those teams are going to the world's then I think expanding the Canadian amateur championship makes a lot of sense. And and sure, 20 teams, 24 teams would be great and try to get more and more young teams in, the U25 champs, sure, and bring them in. And uh, maybe the winner of that championship gets a spot, one spot in the not named yet championship that sends our teams to the Worlds. kind of depends what in the crystal ball is decided as to how our teams are going to be named as the national team. That's the important thing, Jim. They need to decide that. Once that's decided, then you can go down uh, down the road of how many teams and, and how to make up the event. Because uh, it can be truly regional if it's not how our national team is actually chosen. Uh, there's no problem. You can have 20, 24 teams and, and, and make sure you get a lot of young teams in so they can sharpen their teeth on a big event. And that would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warren, what do you say to all that? Oh boy, <laughs> this this just goes around and around and around, and and we know it's an issue because a lot of people talk about it, and some people have some really definite thoughts about they want it back like it was in 1978. But um, this is going to go through a change. I think it's unfortunately it's going to be gradual. It's not going to be probably as quick as it needs to be as to what happens. So I think you're going to see a a slow shift. Uh, I agree with Reed. Let's get it up to 20 teams so we can make sure we got more of our top teams in there that is possible. I'd say get rid of Team Canada and say the top six ranks. I think possibly they need to go one step further with those ranks and give these players an option. If you want to go the route of finishing in the top five or six uh, on the Canadian team ranking system, which will automatically put you in the Briar and the Scotties, and that will be named before all these playoffs provincially start, you don't have to follow the residency rules. You can put a team together however you wish. If you want to go into those provincial championships, however, and go that route, then you've got to follow the rules. Um, I think this would allow a little more flexibility with how some of these teams are put together. And if you're a good team today, if you're a Gushu, Botcher, or Kui, um, you wouldn't be afraid to stick your neck out there and say, yeah, we're going to put a team together in the following manner, and we're not going to abide by the residency rules because we're not going in the briar. Uh, I think you can see that happening. I think you'd see it happening with a team like Holman, that they would uh, take the same move. So it's going to, I believe, it's going to be gradual because I don't think there's any desire to step up and make it the multiple, the huge change that probably needs to take place, uh, splitting this between amateur players and professional players. It's going to happen, but it's going to happen slowly. Uh, unless David Murdoch comes in and actually, you know, David doesn't have the history in Canada of how it, used to work in 1978 and he might he's a strong guy dave's a strong guy he's going to be under huge pressure from that other flank though and i think that's why he's probably i think is going to try to find a compromise position where we still try to deal with two worlds in one but ultimately it will be split out but how long is it going to take who knows all i know is i've been watching the scotties in the briar for many years and every champion from there is a deserves it it's not like you're sending some sort of long shot that got through, you know, saying they have no chance at the Worlds. But, you know, there's an interesting mindset out there. And I've got texts and emails and stuff on Facebook, and Kevin probably has as well, of people who are, are crossing their fingers that one of those lower-ranked teams are going to win. This team is going to represent the country. 
And if you haven't been able to get yourself above a 20 rank, why would you want that team representing Canada, where they're going to at the world level, get pounded because of the quality of the teams that they're going to be going against? Uh, there we go. Uh, thank you, boys, uh, for that. Um, mailback brought to you by Nestle Boost. Complete nutrition to fuel your day. Greg Wolf writes us, as the parental leave issue raised the residency rule once again, I keep wondering if the problem is money. The Scotties and the Briar are unique events that differentiate themselves from the Grand Slam of Curling tournaments. I thought your show mentioned that the season of champions is the primary source of funds for Curling Canada. Is the fear of jeopardizing the cash cow the reason the residency rule remains? What do you say to Greg? I don't think it's probably the cash cow as much as the political cow. Uh, to, to go and start uh, yeah, messing in this whole thing is going to get, it's going to get pushback. And in some cases, we've seen it, it's, it's going to get very loud pushback. And I think to a very large degree, there's nobody inside that uh, container at Call Curling Canada that wants to step out and say, we're going to do this. Now, as Kevin said, maybe David Murdoch's the guy that's going to do that. So it's not really so much about money. And let me give an example. You know, we've heard this time and time again. Well, if you have the Canadian Championship that just involves the slam teams, it's just another slam event. Well, no, it isn't. Uh, if we want to take a look at an event, it's the Olympic Trials, which that, if you want to say, is another slam event. It's the best teams in Canada without question. That's how you get there. And what is the best attended and best viewed and best money-making event in curling in Canada today? the Olympic trials. And so I think any event where the winner is going to represent Canada at the world level is going to attract a huge amount of attention. And uh, so that really has, uh, I think, little to do with it from a, you know, we're not doing this because it's going to impact a quote, the cash cow. And the slam events aren't just Canadian, right, Jim? That's, that's the best of the best right. around the globe. You have to earn your right to get into a slam around the entire globe, not just Canada. So that's, mm -hmm. that's where that differentiates. Well, you know what? Uh, when you watch slams, the interest is going to be high because you're looking at unbelievable high-performance teams all the time. That's why those slams are so good. You know, it's Cooey, Botcher, Gushu, you know, Epping, on and on and on. So, Well, you know, there's a still an interesting mindset out there, and, and Kevin's seen it as well as I have, of the people that are complaining already because TSN this year has been showing primarily those top teams, which hasn't been the way it's gone in the past. They've normally, in the early going, showing a lot of the lower-ranked teams. But this year, they haven't, and people are complaining about it. And my response has been, if you're running a television network, the product you're going to put on the air is the one that's going to draw the most eyeballs. And the one that's going to draw the most eyeballs are going to be the top teams in any in any competition. I don't care whether it's curling, basketball, or bowling. Mm -hmm. uh, people primarily want to watch the leaders. You don't turn in a golf event on the final Sunday to watch the guy that's coming down the, the, the track and in 27th place. You're not even going to see him on the putting green. The public wants to primarily see the people that are winning and uh, appreciate the fact that uh, friends and relatives of some of these teams and maybe for some reason you're connected to a player, you want to see that player, you want to see that team. But that's not the way the world works when it comes to the money sitting around all these products. Emotion uh, doesn't take into account facts. And numbers. It's all numbers, right? This whole thing is numbers. And, and if you don't have numbers, you don't have any value. It's that simple. Uh, okay. Well, who knows? Maybe this year, Scotty's a PEI will win it. 
I don't say that sarcastically, okay? I don't say it sarcastically. That's Suzanne Burt. She's actually really, really good, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. <laughs> uh, but they've never won, is my point. Okay, so we'll have to see. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, if you want to email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. Thank you to Greg, and uh, maybe your email can get read on our show. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Bus driver, once more around the block. Uh, (laughs) It's time for In the House. Brought to you by Goldline. Goldline Curling is proud to be the founding partner of United We Curl, a nonprofit focused on expanding diversity in curling. Learn more at unitedwecurl.com. Oh, welcome, Joan McCusker. How are you, Joan? I'm really good. Happy to be here. Uh, It's not too early for you? Oh, no, no. This was a great little sleep in because we, you know, it's nice when you're not curling to, to get an extra hour or two of rest. Right, right, right on. Uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Joan, you, uh, I was just saying, you used to join me every evening, late, Kevin, okay, late. She was, she was no wimp like you, Martin, you know, you never came into the patch when you were curling, uh, Joan Wood, and uh, the Scotties is underway, uh, this is Monday, I, as I was saying, uh, as we're recording this, uh, and yesterday, Joan was uh, Sandra Schmirler Day, uh, I think the number we have now is well over 700,000 bucks. Uh, You, of course, won a gold medal in 1998 with Sandra and uh, boy curling fans uh, united. And uh, what what an unbelievable pouring out of everyone's heart and donating to the Schmirler Foundation. Uh, Obviously, that would mean a lot to you. And what what was, uh, Joan, before we start, what what was Sandra Schmirler like? Uh, She uh, was... Like every everybody, everybody talked about Sandra being uh, the girl next door. Um, I think all of us uh, in Saskatchewan, raised in in small towns, were were very grounded. You know, we did not uh, put on too many airs. There wasn't a problem with overconfidence. Right. <laughs> there was a, <laughs> uh, Sandra had a terrific sense of humor and uh, something that we all shared, and especially uh, self deprecating humor. She was able to turn something, you know, a miss by her or a mistake by her, she would be the first to make fun of herself and kind of open the door to laughing about it and learning from it and, and moving on. So she's a pretty great human being. She was really uh, empathetic. You know, she would cry in commercials um, on any kind of great cause. So oh, wow. I know something like the the telethon and the way the, the response was yesterday, she would have been in tears all day long. So that, that's a good thing about a human being. Well, and so cool that it lives on, right? That it wasn't just Absolutely. a couple of years after. And It was a long time ago. And, and part of the, the beauty of the Schmirler Foundation is uh, not only creating this, this terrific cause for uh, babies born too soon, too small or too sick, mm-hmm. but also keeping her legacy alive. Like those memories and those shots, you know, whenever we replay those, uh, and see Sandra making those shots and see us coming home with the gold medal. Just, uh, it keeps that memory going for all of us. Speaking of memory, 1998, by the way, let's do the math. And the Olympics <laughs> were probably in February. 
That's 25 years ago. Congratulations. Thanks. The, the anniversary was Wednesday, uh, just a few days ago, and uh, we saw it coming. And so Jan, Marcy, and I had a little celebration supper and uh, tried cool. to mark the occasion and uh, have some plans for for some future future celebrations as well. Cool. Uh, Joan, when you're not commentating uh, now uh, on the gra- with Kevin at the Grand Slams, you are coaching, and you're coaching Shy Digger's team. That's why you're at uh, the Scotties. Tell us how your team is doing and what you think so far. Uh, well, we're, uh, we've only had two games in. Uh, we had a bye early in the round robin. Everyone gets one. So ours was early. And so we, we are one and one. We lost to uh, Northern Ontario yesterday. And we're looking forward to getting back on the ice uh, this afternoon. My team is, is very good. They're very strong. This is a new team. Jesse and, and Casey, the sisters, are picked up uh, Kate Cameron and uh, Taylor McDonald from Laura Walker's team last year. So it's, it very much is a two and two team. And, and for a first year has really, really looking very good. So I'm excited for us to get back on the ice. We, we did not read the ice very well yesterday. It's, uh, it was tricky and um, I know we could do a better job. Uh, with the next job. Good job, Kevin. Well, yeah, let's talk about that for a second, Joan, because uh, you know I've heard some, some a little bit of frost uh, happening and, and just some draws by really, really good curlers missed by a long ways. <laughs> not, not just yes. missing the forefoot by a little, but actually you know missing the house by five or six feet, which is really uncommon for some of the great curlers. Um, I guess let's talk about that first, a little bit of the ice. And then, but then I want to get into... Uh, who plays who, like when you play certain teams and how you prepare yourself uh, strategically so you don't have to draw against four or five against a team that maybe you should beat quite easily. You know, as you know, in a, in a at Briar Scotties and the ice in the first weekend is a little green and it continues to evolve. What What happened yesterday is we got a whole bunch of snow overnight. It was very, very warm on Saturday and then a, a dump of snow and it rained all day at about one degrees, like a lot of rain. And so the humidity was crazy. So uh, as curlers in the arena, we like a little bit of frost. A little bit of frost is uh, is great because it, it uh, helps us with sweeping. We can carve more with the brooms. The ice makers are usually very, very good uh, at keeping um, all, a lot of curl in the ice and the speed in the ice. But I think it got away with a little bit yesterday because it was so humid. And so the the beginning of a game when you do the draw to the button and you 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 shine up those paths to the draw to the button, anything that went across the middle in, in a draw or a hit would grab a piece of frost and really take off. And then people would be confused as to whether that's actually a spot that curls or not because then a couple more rocks down the path, it might not uh, curl as much. And so those draw paths were a moving target throughout the game to the point where then at the end of the game, it was very, very keen, shined up if you use both sides to normal speeds. It's a hard thing to wrap your, your head around when you can see it and feel it underfoot, but it may not affect the draw weight. So there is a lot of communication that has to happen. A lot of timing of rocks of the opposition's rocks from path to path. And it might be a difference of six inches that will be uh, a second different on the draw path or more on a hog to hog. And so it's, it's a, a difference of, like you say, hitting the house or not hitting the house. 
I don't think it's going to be a problem going forward. I think it was a, a, a situation and I, I think teams are going to figure it out. And so are, you know, they'll uh, get the humidity out of that building. So before I let Warren in, uh, your schedule is kind of a unique one. You've got um, uh, UConn next and then New Brunswick and Newfoundland. So teams that are ranked fairly low, but then all of a sudden, then you've got Jonesy, Territories, who are currently really good with uh, Galusha and Rizzo, and, and Rachel Holman, the last three. Yes. So as a coach, that's quite the, <laughs> that is quite the schedule. Um, I guess, yes. it, did you get lucky with that schedule, or is it not? <laughs> and uh, how do you prepare? Because it's, it's teams you should beat, and then holy cow. Yeah. You know, the, the beauty of being old is uh, that <laughs> that you've been around enough to know that there are no games that you should win. Like you, you got to quit thinking about the easy, uh, you know, the teams that are you're ranked above because you just don't know what you're going to get. And so that is one of the discussions that we had uh, before this this event. And my my team, you know, Taylor and Kate have been here at the Scotties a lot. And, and this is uh, Casey and Jesse's third. They you know that you got to quit counting the games that you should win sometimes with the games that you lose. And so we're trying to get away from wins and losses, stop talking about outcome and start talking about playing well, like percentage of play within our team and our team only. Mapping the ice and getting good with the four of us, we can beat anybody if that happens. And so that's our focus is... How well are we playing? How can we turn up that notch, especially when we need it at the end of the week? Psychologist in me will say, this is great, but, you know, we play, you know, we need to play better by the end of the week and we'll probably have a better handle on the ice by then too. So, you know, you got to turn it on its uh, head to make it positive. We could certainly dwell on negative if we want, but uh, that's kind of not my style. I'll be turning this into can't wait uh, for the end of the week, and hopefully we're still in it, and those games uh, matter a lot. Well, you have, you've got an awfully good team. I think you'll still be in it, but it's going to be it's going to be a fun uh, fun last couple of days. A lot of the top teams are playing each other, or the perceived top teams playing each yes. other, and that's going to really Correct. shuffle the deck late. Yeah, let's talk about the teams a little bit further. So I'm seeing one team in here that uh, stumbled a bit starting out, but they seem to come on strong yesterday. Very young team from Manitoba, the Walter team. What's your take on them at this moment? I love the kids. Uh, I think you probably know that we we picked up uh, Megan Walter and Mackenzie Elias as as two subs for us at the Grand Slam in December when Casey and Jesse at the last minute got called home because their mom became very, very ill. And so we got to know the, the kids is what we call them. Megan Walter is 20 years old and she could have been in juniors this year wow. and Yeesh. declined and just had had represented Manitoba last year and made the playoffs and decided to play women's. Okay. These are really, really good players. And so we saw them coming. We, we had a relationship with them due to bringing them in to, to play with us. And guess who we played our very first game was, was uh, Megan Walter and, and wildcard three. So it, it was a little ironic that we, we had been involved with them and saw how good they were. And then we play them our first game of the Scotties. Watch out for them. They are really good. And uh, Megan will find her footing and she's starting to play much better. And again, it's learning about arena ice and kind of 
this opening weekend, that ice is going to be changing throughout a game and throughout a day. So this is a good example of, uh, I think, important that these wildcard teams exist, particularly problems like Manitoba with so much depth in women's curling, that we are getting one of these really good young teams for the future on the ice and they're getting some experience. So it sounds like it's it's a good thing overall. Oh, I, I believe that. I You know, I listen to your show. I I love the wild card direct entry. I think it's fantastic. And uh, yes, this is a great example of a good young team getting the experience they need. Yeah, because if uh, we're still under the old system, uh, they would be in the back room in Manitoba for a long, long time with the depth that's that's there. And so I think hopefully uh, David Murdoch's looking at all this and uh, <laughs> he's going to be looking to the future of how we're going to get more of these young players like Megan Walter uh, into the forefront. Uh, I want to ask you something else. So the last number of events, I guess, for the last two or three years have been played with hogline handles, but uh, lots of problems. So they were usually ditched after about the second draw. But apparently in talking to the people on the technical end of things, they now have a product that they feel pretty confident in. So we're seeing, my count is there's been about four hogline violations and two by Tracy Fleury. Um, is it because the surface is maybe a little quicker than, than normal or is it just the fact that people maybe have got a little more comfortable than they should have that this is happening? I think that, you know, we play them all of the year without them, uh, without the hogline handles and people have gotten really relaxed about sliding over the hogline. It doesn't matter for bond spiels. It doesn't matter for any other event except for playdowns. And so I do think people have gotten a little bit, um, lost their self-awareness on on the hog line. And so it is a rule. I think that yeah, teams have to practice with uh, letting the gold rock go earlier. I am surprised. Tracy Fleury was not someone that I thought was close all the time, uh, but apparently she she is. So it's a, it's a habit, especially on ice that's really fast. You know, you kick out really hard and you got to hang on to that rock for a long time to slow down. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with the handles. I do think there, there's a lack of practice in letting go of the rock in time. Is there something you can do, Joan, to in practice to try to get ready for that? Like I'm, I'm trying to think of myself that you're out at a practice and you're throwing rocks with your team. Warren and I actually talked about this a few minutes ago. It's hard to tell with the naked eye. Did I release that thing or not in time? You can't have those type of handles at your practice facility. Right. How do you, what do you do? Uh, it's more, it's just, it's the total eyeball. As a coach, I'd be like, that's really close. <laughs> I'd be standing on the hog line. I don't know, Kevin, in the old days, didn't we used to do that? Stand on the hog line and go, oh, that guy's really, really close. And that was before the, the handles, the electronic handles came in. I think it is a self-awareness thing. It's a big surprise when it happens. And you know you, you're going into it. Whether you like it or not, you have to play with them. So it. It is, it is a self-awareness and something you have to work on before you get here. Uh, Joan, you had mentioned uh, about the ice. Uh, obviously, it's a, an issue, as, uh, as everyone's pointed out. The poor ice makers, you know, at the mercy of the weather uh, all the time. Has there been any communication with the ice maker, Joan, after yesterday? Uh, you know, I don't think anybody's tremendously unhappy. We threw rocks last night as fifths and coaches do to, to rock match for the next day. And the surface was really nice. The, it timed beautifully. It was 14, 14, four hog to hog mm -hmm. and all of these rocks. And like, like 
it's just the watching throughout the game where you might get caught on a spot. And that's the same way in a grand slam. It's the same way in a bond spiel and certain, mm-hmm. uh, that's part of the game. Part of the game is if you don't use that side of the sheet, that one side for an end or so, you're going to have to break it back in again. And, and sometimes we forget. And uh, I don't think it's a big deal. It is part of the game is adjusting to what we have in whatever we play in. I think the other problem, Jim, is that that building does not have dehumidification in it, uh, by my memory. And so because of where Kamloops is and the climate there, humidity is not usually a big issue in Kamloops. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to get colder here in BC over the next few days. So that should probably pretty much alleviate that issue going forward. But I think it's just a, a weather condition they faced the last couple of days. It's probably pretty unusual for Kamloops this time of year. I would agree. Uh, Joan, those of us who watch curling on TV uh, have become certainly used to coaches now uh, over the last several years and their presence there and, and walking onto the sheet to help with decisions. After the games are done, Joan, uh, what's, what's your role? How do you, do you break games down after? Do you get together with the team and, and do a debrief or explain to us what you're doing when you're not coaching during a game? I think most teams would would have a routine of what they like, and that's when you when you put four people together and you talk about uh, the, that kind of expectation and what works for the team. For for us, we do like a very uh, structured a certain amount of time before a game. Where we're going to have a a pregame talk, and we're going to figure out what our goals are for that game, and then post is going to be to look at how did we do. And uh, yes, we do a, a post game fairly close till right after the game. We don't like to do it um, in any public place. So generally we have to, to leave the arena for that to happen to mm-hmm. review what did we want to be our focus for that game and how do we do on that and what actually happened. And if there's new issues that have come up on that, and that's our personal style. Uh, we like to look at individuals as well, like what someone as a person was, was working on and then how can we help them? If that they didn't achieve what they wanted to. Yes, sometimes it is a breaking down of some choices that were made during the game. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like it was yesterday. It was it was about what went wrong in on that certain side of the ice and how did we get tricked when we didn't feel confident about where to put the broom. So that's uh pretty like an open conversation trying to trying to figure out how we could have done things differently. A coach's role sometimes is as a mediator, just to open the door and ask the right questions. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. it's just a fifth set of eyes. Like if people saw things one way and a couple people saw it another, it's it's another vote in, oh, I saw that this is what was going on too. So I think it's an important just kind of the glue a little bit of of keeping us all on track. Yeah. Is there something with Team Scheidegger? Um you see this team when they're on fire and they're really tough when they are. And then other times when they're a little inconsistent, is there something that you can tell the, the fans, boy, when you see this with Team Scheidegger, they're ready to play really well. Is there something in that team where you go, boy, I like this? I like it when Casey has her draw weight because she can beat anybody. <laughs> you know, Casey is such... Uh, a great skip and a person that has continued to set goals for herself and, and check them off. 
And I think you were the one to say a couple of years ago, uh, Kevin, that she was she could hit with the best of them and needed to find comfort in drawing and pressure situations. Well, she found that. She found that a couple of years ago. And so I like when Casey comes to the ice in an event like this and she's got a couple of kids, she's a full-time teacher, she helps take care of her, her, her mom. She's got a lot on her plate. And so I love getting her to a place where all she needs to do is think about curling. And when, when she doesn't have those distractions, uh, look out, right? look out because uh, Casey has got that draw weight and that I want to throw that last rock and have to get a piece of the button and rise to the occasion. I, I love it. Joan McCusker has been our guest. Uh, Joan, thanks for uh, getting up. Good luck to you. Thanks a lot for coming on. By the way, I'm sure your husband, Brian, reminds you uh, that he was a Briar guy in 1991 and uh, when Kevin was there. That's a good memory. Did you want to talk about that? <laughs> I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Does, does he probably hit you every day? Don't forget, honey. I was a Briar guy in 91. <laughs> no, it's more like in the booth and saying to Kevin, uh, don't forget, you you beat my husband in that final to start your career. <laughs> yeah, it is a long, That's time, a long ago. time ago. You, you, uh, the other little tidbit is is Brian is coaching at the Briar. So Team Saskatchewan is, is uh, Kelly Knapp, and Brian's been with that with those boys the twins uh for several years and they they have come out of saskatchewan and just like the old days when i used to win the province he used to win the province i'd say don't do that it's too complicated like right pick a different <laughs> year but yeah, yeah. he's off to the briar as well cool uh joe mccusker 1998 gold medalist at the olympics with sandra schmirler it was a great day yesterday for her and her foundation uh, Joan, we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, Shy Digger will do well uh, having you as a coach, and good luck the rest of the week. Thanks very much, Jimmy. It's it's a pleasure to, to come on, and uh, yeah, uh, I love watching curling, and so it's, it's great to have a front row seat. See you later, Joan. Thanks, Joan. Good luck. Thanks, Joan. See you guys. Uh, there you have it. Another show in the books. Joan McCusker, uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Joan. And uh, thanks, to everyone, for listening. Uh, it's the week of the Scotties. I think all I remember from being at those events uh, is the record amount of donuts that I ate, okay, because Tim Hortons, <laughs> you did a great job getting them. Uh, I'd always go by the volunteer lounge, right, because they had a massive amount of donuts. And uh, I think one day I knocked off a dozen uh, in one day. And I'd always make up an excuse to go, I better drop into the volunteer lounge there just to say hello to people. And then, <laughs> That's underway uh, again. And uh, we're going to get together with everybody at the end of the round, Robin, uh, for a special edition of our show to give you a wrap and, and what's going to lie ahead for the uh, weekend. Uh, Kev, you got to tell us this quick story about <laughs> that, that 91 Briar and, what, what, and how you ended up getting lucky. Uh, I think I think what you're talking about, what we talked about before the show. You mean Jimmy? It yeah. was a ninety. It was uh, was it ninety one in Hamilton. Uh, we were playing Rick Lang late late in the round robin, yeah. and uh, Rick had us in trouble. And, and when Rick sees us, he'll he'll have a good laugh too, cringingly. Um, anyway, <laughs> after five, he, I don't know. Rick's up three or four or something, and and uh, they were going to win. But then somebody opened the back door to the arena to bring in food, to bring in like 
food for a banquet or whatever. And the humidity raced into that, through that open door and completely covered the ice with frost. And the, the ice went from really nice to heavy, 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 Slush. heavy. <laughs> so yeah, and, and Rick's team couldn't throw it real hard. And we were a bunch of young guys could fire the rock. I remember one of Rick's players, it might've been Rick himself, went to play an open hit. And, and uh, guarded our stone in the house. <laughs> so oh, we no. ended up, yeah, this is late in round robin. If, if Rick beats us, I think we're hoping for a best tiebreaker. But if we could win that game, and we got, I don't know, three or four of that end and then stole three or four, and we ended up winning uh, early because of that door being open. So right. what a great story. And that was against Rick Lang in 91. And otherwise, we're, we're done. But uh, yeah, I, I owe whoever that was. Whoever opened that door, maybe it was Warren who opened that door, but whoever opened that door, uh, we, we owe them because we ended up winning that. that prior oh, I know who opened the door, and it wasn't Uh-oh. me. Who was it, Warren? Come on. It wasn't Jim. I, it was the broadcaster of the day. That would oh, be no. CBC. Oh, is that that's who I owe thanks to? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. The ice just went completely white, like just thick, thick frost all of a sudden. It was amazing. So funny. I mean, that was always, always the problem in those big buildings in the old days that uh, somebody had to be on guard at that door all the time because depending upon where you were and what the humidity conditions were, that door get opened during games and it could cause a major problem. And uh, it was always fairly carefully watched, but sometimes people got away and uh, that was one of them. Yeah, and the old Cops Coliseum in Hamilton. Yeah, terrific. Yep. Uh, that night, that '98 Olympics, where Joan uh, won the won the gold, Kevin. Yeah, that was Mike Harris's Olympics too. The famous flu. Yep. Uh, and you brought up the name we're talking about, Paul Savage, uh, and Ed Wernick. Uh I have many. You know, Warren knows many people here in Edmonton, and I bump into them all the time. And they, I go to say, uh, Warren Hanson, I'm bragging about the show we do, and they go, Oh, uh, and they give me a different nickname. Every time I talked to Warren, I was like, old slope shoulders. It's all the Biffy, this and that and the other thing. You got to tell this story about who gave Ed Wernick and Paul Savage their nicknames. And I went, oh, oh, the gals. So Paul Galzel, can you imagine you're talking about Paul Galzel, Ed Wernick and Paul Savage, three of the best names in curling history. Characters. Absolute yeah. characters. But Paul Galzel used to call Wernick and, uh, and Savage, a uh, stench and sewage. <laughs> Wait, back in the day. Oh my goodness! Wow. Way to bring that up, Jimmy. That's awesome. Oh, oh that goes stench. back a lot of years. Stench and sewage. So, Warren, you just be happy with your nicknames, okay? It could have been, been worse. Oh, what great guy! Uh, thanks, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we appreciate. It. We'll be back on uh, Friday. Uh, with a, a wrap-up of the round robin. Again, you want to email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. Also, Facebook, we're very lively. Uh, we want to thank Rod Pulse and his company, In-House Strategies, uh, for all the great work they're doing on our Facebook group. Thank you again to all our sponsors, Sports Interaction, Coyote, Boost, and Goldline, who make Inside Curling possible. Boys, enjoy the rest of the week. Kevin, we've got to let everyone know we have to do this early because you're defending a pickleball thing or something isn't it this this morning huh? <laughs> yeah getting together with uh, with bruce savile and, and kathy and and playing some play up playing a little kathy ball. king of course yeah yes kathy king yes 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 way to go thank you boys uh warren you carry on with whatever you're doing i told warren you know never never complain to warren hansen that you have to get up early because he gets up at four and he goes to bed at 3 30 okay <laughs> then a.m <laughs> 
Thanks, everyone, for joining us. You've been listening to Inside Curling. We'll see you, Warren. See you, Kevin. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim.